When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the show. It's made possible by our friends at Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. And today, we're joined by a man who knows, as well as anyone I would have thought, how elite sport can be cruel and be kind. David Asprey played 155 games across a dozen years for the Richmond Football Club in the AFL. Raised on a farm in regional Victoria, David emerged from an injury-ravaged start at Punt Road to play those 155 games. And significantly, he grew into a dependable defender and he won three premierships in one of Richmond's most successful eras. David Asprey, welcome. Thanks a lot for joining us. Thanks very much for having me. What I also probably should have mentioned was, and I hope you are okay with this, is that you're in the Stingray Hall of Fame as well, which <laughs> I know you've touched on a little bit over the journey is one of the few footballers, and this would have been scary, all jokes aside, to have copped a barb in the foot in the bay. Yeah, it's it's an illustrious uh, crew. Who's um, in it with you, by the way? I'm pretty sure it's just me and Jared Grant I think from, you're right. from the Bulldogs. It's a select. Yeah, yeah. I've actually never met Jared, um, but I, I think we've got that mutual respect. Um, but yeah, not a highlight. It actually came at a real low point of my career. And um, yeah, I think that was just the point where it's just like... It has to be up from here. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you were always extremely dedicated to the getting the best out of yourself. And I suppose injuries almost ingrain that in, in someone. But you're out in the bay on your own. And I think you described this before. The bay was filthy at the time, was it not? There'd been a, a truckload of rain. You couldn't see anything. Yeah, no, it was... It was. Uh, I've been quoted in saying that I've been in um, in less murky dams in Tattyoon in Western <laughs> Victoria. And... Um, I think it was just like, I'm leaving nothing to chance. I'm going to make sure that I do everything right. Um, It's been a tough time. And then, uh, yeah, marine marine animal just thought it was going to get the better of me that day. So I don't want to spend the whole podcast on it, but for someone who's had all the injuries you've had, where did this one rate on the pain stakes? Yeah, it was number one. Yeah, right. It was, yeah. Um, And then I thought, oh, you know, retired, things are good. Um, My body's actually, you know, Aside from the 15 surgeries, it, it actually takes pretty good shape. Um, and then last year, I just returned from from Europe. And then, yeah, I had a, a really, really bad abdominal pain and uh, had the appendix out. So that sits at number two. Um, and, and probably just because I was too stubborn to go to hospital, I just thought I had a pain in the guts. And uh yeah, so uh, I've, the two two injuries that or the two painful experiences were not uh, not football related. So. Fifteen surgeries, I heard that right, didn't I? Yeah, yeah, you did. Jeez. So the body is holding up all right at the moment. <laughs> yeah. We're okay. Yeah, we're safe good in surgeons. here. We're, we're yeah. safe in this room. That's right. Good <laughs> surgeons across the twelve year career, uh, well looked after by by the medical staff at the Richmond Football Club. Um, 
I'm a little bit, uh, yeah, I've got a few bits and pieces that, that, that hold me together, but yep. overall I'm, I'm moving okay. So you pulled the pin, I imagine glass enormously, cup enormously full in 2021. What, what are you doing now? What's keeping you busy? Yeah, I, I think curiosity got the better of me and was probably part of the reason that contributed to, to my retirement. Um, and yeah, the next phase of, of life has been very fulfilling. I, I've um, invested in some study. I was I was doing an MBA in, in 2020 and then transferred across to psychology. So um, I'm at the back end of my second year of that now. Um, and also got an opportunity in May to go over to New Zealand for, for a camp with the Hockey Roos. I went with Emma Murray and I was essentially the steak knives, you know, just someone else to... to um, to appease a couple of clients while we're over there, but uh, the work became um, intensive and and the program really really took to it. And uh, the athletes are incredible, and I'm I'm really connected with them. and And that took me to Europe uh, for the World Cup, um, which was yeah a, an incredible experience. And I went from just working in the pure mental performance space to then running their leadership model and then sort of being a part of or chairing their, their culture program. So um, it's become more expansive and uh, yeah, I've essentially signed on until the Paris 24 Olympics. So um, it's a relationship that I really value and uh, and I'm really invested in that program. Yeah. So. so so very much in the mindset and culture space like Emma, who we'll, we'll probably come back to a few times during our chat, but is this something you always wanted to, to get into? Um, or did it something that grew with you as in the twilight of your career? Yeah, I th- I think one of the catalysts for for me really investing in this space to become, you know, my career was the hub. I was actually injured for a, a, a great deal of that. I had two knee surgeries, um, you know, successively in in the 2020 season. One in Melbourne before we went to the hub, and one up there in the Gold Coast, and. Um, yeah, just to be able to bring some value or, you know, some purpose to the to the program in that space. We didn't actually have Emma in the hub initially. So I started to to run our, our mental performance sessions and reviews and, and started to do some consults with particularly the younger demographic of the playing list. And yeah, right. um, it's something that I, I found really fulfilling. And, um, you know, I, I was never going to be at the level that Emma was because I considered her to be, you know, one of the best on the planet to do it. And um but it, but it was it did really fast track my development in that space, and then that was probably the reason why I transferred over to study, you know, a bachelor of psychological sciences. Um, well, I think my skill set is different to Emma. My probably you know just as much in the the leadership and culture component of a of an elite sporting or an elite environment or organisation in general, um, whereas her you know work is just unbelievable in the mental performance space and um yeah i couldn't speak highly enough of it i hadn't heard that word for so long hub but doesn't that word hub just send a shiver up the <laughs> shiver up the spine this is a shocking time wasn't it um so yours is a journey just full of everything as we said off the top every twist every turn every up every down with what you're doing now do you find yourself reflecting more on your own sort of journey or, or did you anyway or were you more moment to moment now it feels like almost a, another life altogether your footy one uh no th- there's certainly reflection upon it um you know I'm, I'm pretty invested in my own personal professional development at, at a day-to-day level and you know sometimes I'll get some insight or or some theory that I'll be like oh that was what was happening for me then and there and um just to be able to, you know, approach or reflect upon experiences with, you know, a bit of humility and responsibility and, and, and 
probably curiosity as well. I'm, I, I do often reflect on my time in in an elite sporting environment and, and understand exactly how powerful your thoughts and feelings can be in a performance setting. And, um, yeah, I take some of those experiences, which have essentially just become your IP and, and really try to make sure that I, I use them mm-hmm. in a really practical sense is, you know, in the next phase of my life. This is a very open-ended question before we get to the break, but <laughs> yours, your career would strike me as a bit of, you know, Forrest Gump's life is like a box of chocolates. <laughs> like you just did not know what you were going to get. I mean, when someone asks you how you look back on your career, I mean, how, with what sort of lens do you do that? Yeah. Um, well, yeah, if if I date it back, you know, fifteen years, yeah. uh, like I, I would never have the foresight that it was going to go the way that it did. I, I thought that I, I considered myself very fortunate to even enter the AFL environment, and then, um, you know, it sort of elevated really quickly, and I played a lot of footy early, and then it just, it just went off track, and um, yeah, I I thought that my career was not going to amount to anything. Um, I thought that I was going to get traded. I was interested in in you know uh, industries outside of the AFL because I thought that I was going to be forced to to move into that at some point. I you know sold properties because I thought my career was over. Like there was a, there was just a great deal of shift at different stages. And um, yeah, I, I you know in answer to your question, yeah, there there was um, there was a great deal of you know agility which isn't typical for me in, a, in an on-field sense but in life there, there certainly was a lot of agility and I had no choice but to be but the reality is I know it's a little bit cliche like I learned a great deal uh. particularly through that adversity so there's there's nothing that I'd change about it and um, I think that it really did put me in a better position for the next phase of my life. That's absolutely set you up hasn't it? Uh, you're listening to This Is Your Journey it's all thanks to Tobin Brothers a family owned business since 1934. So Tadayoon sits 215 odd kilometres west of Melbourne. About 130 people live there according to my extensive research. Well David Asprey was one of them and he's going to take us back to the beginning right after this. You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Hello, it's great to have your company on This Is Your Journey. It's made possible by Tobin Brothers Funeral Celebrating Lives. We're a three-time Richmond Premiership player, David Asprey. So, David, tell me about Tadioon. I don't know how many times you've been asked about this little town over your journey. A lot. But growing up out there, your folks, I'm not sure if it was always this way, but it was wheat and canola. Yeah, and, and sheep. Sheep. Yeah, sheep. So, spent a lot of my summers in the in the sheep yards getting... Yelled at just as much as the Kelpies by my dad. Um, Did you? So you were made to go out there and earn your keep as a young fellow? Yeah, well, yeah, well, no choice. It wasn't even a, um, yeah, nothing that was contemplated. I didn't have a great deal of, um, you know, leverage. <laughs> so, True. Uh, yeah, spent a lot of summers very dusty. Um, yeah, really wishing that I was just watching the cricket. Um, a couple hundred acres out there? Yeah, yeah. Uh, my my mum and dad had originally bought 360 acres and then um, before, uh, yeah, that sort of dissolved, it got up to about 880, but we were also, um, yeah, share farming some more land. So, yeah, it became, you know, a bit of a, you know, you need a few acres there to, to, to make a buck. So, um, 
yeah, it, it became a, a bit bigger. I've still got three uncles and aunties that are that are in the region that have have bigger farms, but it, it certainly gives me purpose to get back there. Also, farming was never a lifestyle that appealed. Well, look, there's always these, you know, those country boy narratives that get around. Yeah, you like, weren't those? Or I, that's my origins, but I wouldn't suggest that it, it's a great deal of my makeup now. I, I can relate and there's a lot of people that back there that I still adore or respect and, and they put a lot of time and investment into me. So I'm, I'm greatly appreciative of that, but um, I, I don't run the country boy narrative like some do, you know. Siblings? <laughs> Three sisters, yep. yeah, one older, two younger, Claire, Hannah, and Zoe. Uh, Claire is in Ararat. Um, she's got three kids, Ted, Polly, and Jock. And, yeah, they're they're just a joy. And Were you close growing up, you and your we three? We were, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. There was, I don't know, we are all pretty invested in our sport and, um, you know, Four kids, there's always going to be a little bit of tension between them. But, um, yeah, I, I wouldn't suggest that I'm any more close or, or distant from any of them. Yeah, we're all we're all a real collective, so it's it's great. You mentioned cricket, but when did your relationship with footy start and how? <laughs> um, well, the Tadian football netball and, and cricket club. I also played, played tennis there as well. Um, Is that the Hawks? The Hawks, the Taddy Hawks. Actually, funnily enough, I was back there on the weekend. Um, they played a practice match against Navarre at Taddy Oon and um, one of my best mates, Andrew Brown, has has signed with the Taddy Hawks um, this year. So I went back there and watched on. Um, you would have and, been asked a few hundred times whether you're willing to pull the boots back on, I'm sure. Well, I think I might. What? This year. Yeah. Uh, the, we haven't really ironed it out and, it, and um, I don't know, I, I'm... I'm not a hopeless romantic, but I do like the idea of sort of finishing where you, where you started, but yeah. but also giving um, a real vehicle just to get back there to to you know stay connected to the community and um, yeah, it was awesome to be back there on Saturday and um, yeah, it is it is a really firing community. Like even after the game, just looking out on the oval at how how much youth is is present is amazing. Oh, well, that's, and that's great because you yeah. hear the opposite a lot. Yeah, that's right. Well, I, I think that. The the committee is it's it's just really well run, um, and you know it, it's really collaborative. There's you know male and female contribution and presence, and um, just I think the um, the volunteer base is is something that I I don't often see, and and I think that that's the reason why there's so many kids there, and um, yeah, they just bring a level of excitement and. Yeah, I'm excited to have, you know, more more opportunity to be in front of them this year. So rewinding as a teenager, you're progressing through the ranks. I think there might have been a couple of under-16 flags there at the Hawks. So what, what sort of player were you as a kid, Dave? Were you, were you tall at that age? Did you have the same position profile? Were you key position? And, you know, I know you went to the Combine back in the day in Canberra, but did you always think you would make it or did it, did it sneak up on you? No, no, well, look, I'll sort of – I'll go down the path of when I was in year seven, year eight um, – my family will love me going down this path because if I'm being truthful, Sam, I was quite, quite chunky. Uh, really? Yeah. Uh, there's a photo of me about to uh, commence high school or, or maybe it was the first day of year eight. I don't know, but they were, um, there were days where I'd eaten too many chops. I'd, um, I'd, I'd go to the chest freezer in the morning before I went to school, throw them out on the sink to defrost and I'd come home and, you know, in a bag of chops, they're, they're designed to serve a family, obviously, and a family of six we were. But I, um, 
you know, I got them in the pan. I was like, oh, if I'm going to cook one, I may as well cook them all. You know, someone will eat them. But then I, I, I stomach them all. And um, yeah, it wasn't until I woke up after one Christmas when I was probably 13 years old and I was, yeah, I'd, ha- I'd had a few kilos thrown on. So I think that's probably why my, my passion was with cricket because I couldn't <laughs> run out games of footy. Um, Call for the runner. Yeah. <laughs> but um, no, I think... Yeah, cricket was definitely my first love in a sporting sense, and I don't for a second claim that I I had to make a conscious decision. I, I you know, the reality is I'll never know if I would have been good enough. Um, but you know, Taddy was. It's this, as you said, it's there's there's very there's not many people mm. there. It's a very small population, but they had a turf wicket, and I was playing on turf cricket when when I was you know eleven. Um, and under 13s and I didn't realize at the time how spoiled I was. And that's just another testament to the volunteers that would go there and roll the wicket for yeah. us. Um, I'm sure they had better things to do, but, um, and then I played, yeah, senior cricket when I was quite young. So when I was 14 years old, I played an A grade premiership for, for Tadayoon, um, which is still a, a highlight of my sporting career. And, um, yeah, that was, that was definitely the season that I was more invested in when it comes to a, a sporting context. But, um, yeah, then I guess, I grew. Um, I suppose I had to be a little bit crafty and learn how to read the play when you when you're a little bit fat and slow as a kid. So I I had a little bit of that that development. But then yeah, when I was 16, 17, I developed late and um, yeah, I, I put together a bit of height. And then yeah. I guess yeah, that was the decision made for me. So it's Richmond. It's pick 35. It's the 09 National Draft. Now, crucially, I think you've joked about this before, you were picked right after Max Score, not right before. Thankfully, you didn't have to put up with that narrative as some players have had to yeah, look, Not that you wouldn't have held up pretty well, I might add. Well, uh, look, I've only got... Um I've only got Max in one metric um, at the moment. And, um, yeah, he's turned into a sensational player. And at the beginning of his career was a little bit slow as well. But I am enormously grateful that he was the pick before me. Yeah, pick 34. Especially I, in those early years, I guess, when you're trying to find your way and you don't have to put up with that in the background. Yeah. Well, you know, it's very easy to look at thing, things retrospectively. And, um, yeah, there's some players out there where it's, you know, it's, it's unkind. I was actually, yeah, I was chatting... I think it was with Dill Buckley and um, he was saying that Lockie Neal was, was taken after him. Right. <laughs> and, and it's still, that's not it's still a shadow that, that you know, mm. he has to live in. But, yeah, no, pick 35, um, yeah, end of 2009 and, and to the Richmond Football Club. And there was a – yeah, we had a number of, of draftees that year. And, um, yeah, that's where it all started. So the club but back then was so different to the club now. I mean, your first year, I think, was Damien Hardwick's first year as well. Uh, Newman's there. Delidio's there. Matty Richardson's just retired. I think the club had only won six games the year before. They obviously hadn't played finals since 2001. They hadn't won a flag since forever. What was it like walking in there initially? Yeah, well, it was just – it was it was actually obviously exciting for me. Um, never been exposed to an elite performance environment. Um, you know, it's sort of you go in with not a great deal of expectation. Luckily, you know there was players drafted before me and Dustin and and Ben Griffiths as well. Speaking of people that had picks after him, he was a pick before Nat Fife, the poor guy. I'm sorry to bring that up, Sheriff. There's oh, um, <laughs> a bit of a barb. Um, so yeah, like I didn't come in with you know, the expectation of some of those players and obviously we were so youthful, it's a little bit of a free hit. And um, all I wanted to do was just train hard, earn respect, 
get an opportunity to play senior footy and um yeah that all that all seemed to happen so my trajectory to you know the end of my first year seemed mm. relatively linear it was i was having a look so 17 games in year one three on debut playing forward as well and in a what was it a 10 goal loss you jagged three you gotta be happy with that <laughs> yeah well yeah there's there's probably a few fortunate ones in there. The reality is, I think... <laughs> hey, it doesn't matter. The sheet says three. It doesn't have in brackets two game with Joe the Goose. Is there well, Dimmer, Dimmer had the, the nous to understand that that's probably not going to be a sustainable thing for me. So, yeah, the, the opposite end of the field was was calling. We'll get to that. Uh, David Asprey's with us on This Is Your Journey. It's thanks to Tubman Brothers Funeral Celebrating Lives. And we'll be back with Dave right after this. You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Hello, we hope you're enjoying this week's edition of This Is Your Journey. We're with triple Richmond Premiership defender, David Asprey. So, so Dave, after your debut year, as you just touched on, the role changes. You go to defence, but the club uh, does its best not to put any pressure on you. They only give you Matty Richardson's number 12. <laughs> but I'm assuming you embraced it in all seriousness. Well, I had no choice. I, I actually, yeah, I remember the process was probably a little bit... Um, <laughs> disjointed uh I, I don't actually know who was part of the committee or, or who what the makeup was there but at the end of that season if you fit the criteria and I think the criteria is if you play 15 senior games you get the opportunity to you know put you know nominate a number that you could go into and at that stage there was number seven uh vacant number 11 um obviously number 12 number four um which Dustin moved into um but yeah, I, I put in, I put in my application for number seven or number eleven. I, I, I wasn't too stressed. Um, and then we had a, a preseason, um, like press conference. I think it was um, it before our senior uh, season launch or, or something in, in that regard. And um, yeah, I got called into an office and, and I was told that they were, I was going to inherit the number twelve. And I just remember being like, well, that, that's not how, that wasn't the plan. You know, that's not, that's not at all what I wanted. And then I, um, I was like, oh, what a, what an honor to be bestowed upon you. And, and I did think of it that way, but then, um, it was like, it was full of lead that, that number, you know, trying to lug that around. And, um, you know, I, I, I probably sat in exactly the same seats as a lot of those supporters. Like, well, what have we gone and done giving it to this kid? He's unproven and, and whatnot. But, um, yeah, I, I was enormously grateful, but, uh, there were stages where like I, I legitimately contemplated passing it up, um, particularly after a, a couple of you know, in injury ravaged seasons, but I thought that that was that was like waving the white flag. So I thought better of it. No, good on you. But the injuries, as you touched on, they they are absolutely a part of your story and your story of resilience. And I get the first real test comes as early as this second year. Dislocated kneecap, some serious damage with the MCL as well. So surgery, and then I think a second round of surgery, a really gentle path back via Coburg, of course, maybe even the reserves, and then from 2011 to 2015, so five seasons. 24 games. I mean, there's fractured feet, there's ankles, there's another dislocated kneecap on your left leg, I think. And that time you actually reset it on the field, didn't you? You whacked it back in on your own. So you'd, you'd become a doctor as well. Well, I've learned in some capacity, oh, I guess. Yeah. These are grim, these are, these are pretty grim moments though, aren't they? That Yeah, they were. Um, I've, 
I've I've actually reflected on this recently. I remember the the time that I dislocated in 2011 at the SCG. Um, the knee was bent and the kneecap was sort of under me on on the grass, and I just didn't know what to to do. I thought the best thing was to not move. The reality is, if I straightened my leg, it would have naturally gone back in itself. But those minutes, they were um, they were painful and also stressful. And um, but yeah, 2014. Um, Playing the demons at the G, um, yeah, did it, did it again. But I, I was, I was well rehearsed, and uh, yeah, I, I knew exactly how to put it back in. So there's the standard. There's hamstrings, but then there's form. You're in, you're out. You're playing both ends because then you spend a bit of time going back forward. There's AFL, there's VFL. I mean, how do you look back on this time in in your life, particularly now through the lens of what you're doing, um, the mental side of things, and, and perhaps the anxiety that you had at the time that you didn't have a, a proper grasp of at the time, if that makes sense. Yeah, well, the reality was that if I reflect on that time honestly and with enough humility, I I wasn't taking responsibility for the stuff that I was in control of. And I was just subscribing to these narratives about Dave being, you know, unfortunate, um, not getting a clear run of it, not probably having my worth seen by the coaching department and, and all these sort of things. But the reality was that was stuff that sat beyond my control. So I was wasting energy putting, you know, putting investment into that. And, um, but if I look at my own performance at those times where I was playing and, and when I had an opportunity to represent myself and put my, my strengths out there, my, my form was awful. My form was awful. And I, you know, the, the old notion of, of cause and effect, I was just, I had my attention completely on the effect side of life Mm. and I wasn't, I wasn't eliciting, you know, enough of my strengths on the cause side. So, Um, I was my own worst enemy and towards the back end of that period, late in 2015 was where the introduction to Emma Murray came into my career and, um, you know, my, my perspective and, and my attention or focus just, just went onto a, onto a different element and I was no longer losing energy and, um, you know, having emotional investment in these things that I couldn't control that were not serving me in a performance sense. So late 2015 for Emma, for this discovery, for all these things, such a pivotal part in your career, also because you became unwittingly, I would assume, the centre of a pretty big trade story at the time. I mean, the Brisbane Lions were interested. I think they had an offer on the table in front of you. It was, if the report's a bit correct, it was a good one. How close were you to moving? Because it would appear as though you were pretty close. Um... (laughs) Yeah, I'm going to give you a perspective that you certainly wouldn't have got at that time, which you'll probably <laughs> laugh at. But um, I was never all that appeased. Um, you know, Leper was up there, and I, you know, I I had a connection with Leper. Um, but I I was I asked myself the reasons as to why, and you know, I I went through due due diligence, and um, I. Went up there, got a medical. I, I met all the key people and um, met the leadership group, and and they were great. Um, and I am I am really thankful for the interest that they showed in them. But the narrative that I had with my manager was, um, I was like, look, if I've only got one season of contract, you know, the 2016 season with Richmond, um, and I'm you know weighing it up against you know a potential four year deal to go to Brisbane. Um, and yeah, security is a big thing in football. It's it, it's just good to have. Um, but the reality was like, I wanted security where I was. I, I thought I asked myself the question, what was important for me? It's like, I play at a big club in Melbourne. My family's Victorian based. Um, I get to play on the MCG as much as anyone. Um, 
and I feel like I have a really good formula for me to, to get better here. And so I just want the time here. So it was part of it's like, yeah, let's go and investigate that. Let's see what Brisbane have to offer. And then if nothing else, that's something that we could potentially leverage to maybe get another season out of Richmond just to get that one, one season, one further season of security. <laughs> anyway, I'm not sure how things developed, but pick 17 was thrown in the mix from Brisbane. And that was the time where Richmond were under all sorts of external pressure about being able to get a trade done. Um, you know, who was their last big trade? And there were stories like that around. So I became, you know, a pivotal piece to that because Chris Yaron was coming across from Carlton and Carlton had publicly identified that they wanted somewhere in the you know, between pick 12 and pick 19. And obviously 17 sits within that that realm. And um, so it went from me thinking that I had a bit of leverage to go back to Richmond <laughs> and being like, oh, look, Brisbane offered me a substantial deal. You know, I, I do want to stay, but, it, you know, weighing one year up against four, like you do the math sort of thing, to them just being like, hang on a second, mate. We, we could get pick 17 in we only have to give a pick back that's in the 30s or 40s or whatever and that's exactly what we need for Chris Yaron it's just like we're going to happily show you the door and um so did it bother you that the club wanted it to happen well or not would would you have like if 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 if, if I, lo- I wanted to stay it would have yeah, yeah I'd be a bit hurt by that yeah but if I look at it objectively like it it is a business and and the people that were making those calls in Dimmer and Blair Hartley and Tim Livingston and the people that that I respect enormously like I would have done it. I would yeah. have done it if I was the Richmond Football Club. Like, yeah, it hurt at the time and I was in match committee at one stage and I, they they actually just said, look, this is the circumstances. If it works for you, it works for us. And um, I couldn't help but get emotional. But even Chris Yaron aside, it's a massive call to say you're happy to stay at Richmond where the trapdoor might be pulled out from underneath you in 12 months' time. Mm. That's the worst case scenario, admittedly, as opposed to a four-year contract at Brisbane, mm. and yet you chose the 12-month trapdoor. Yeah, and I, I just remember being like, look, this this is a, a, a more sustainable formula for me, being here. Um, and if I, I don't want to run away from a lot of the stuff that's that's caused me to get me in this situation. It's just like I, I have a lot of control over this. So I, I can fix this, and I can fix it where I am. So I need to back myself just to be able to get that right. And don't get me wrong, after six rounds in the 2016 season where we were, we were fancy to be, you know, like there was talk of us being a top four team and, and the season eventuated and we'd only won eight games of footy. We were nowhere near it. But I got dropped after round six in my final year of contract at 25 years of age um, in a team that was underperforming. And it wasn't looking good. It wasn't looking good at all. And then... Um, Troy Chaplin, uh, he he was playing ahead of me and and it was clear that that was the role that, you know, if I was good enough, I, sh- I should be in it. But he went over and they played a game at uh, in Perth against Fremantle and they won and things sort of seemed to get back on track and Chappie got this substantial hit pointer and, and I remember watching him try and run it out at training and being like, you know, this is a big this is a big moment for me. Like if Chappie gets through this, this session and he keeps playing, um, I'm in trouble. Like I, I'm, I'm legitimately on the ropes. Um, and I, I didn't know what the future held for me. And I, and I saw him pull up the back pocket at punt road. And I was just like, Oh, he's called it. He's called it. I'm going to get a call up this weekend. <laughs> and, um, and then it was 
Dreamtime at the G uh, that that weekend, and obviously that was the, the the saga year or supplement saga year. So Essendon were undermanned, and um, yeah, I got to play in that game, and it was you know against a, a lowly um, I use quotation marks for yeah, listeners there, yeah, a lowly yeah. Essendon team, and um, yeah, then held my spot for the remainder of the year and, and rescued my career. So is that cutthroat be, that that your career might have been held in the hands of Troy Chaplin in one training session to think that if he'd somehow got through and who knows, played the rest of the career, rest of the season, then who yeah, knows what? Yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Amazing. I, I was, yeah, dog food. But um, <laughs> yeah, I've never even reflected upon that with Chappie and I, I almost felt guilty for having those feelings, but that's, you know, Human sometimes, yeah, yeah, that's how, that's how footy works as well. And sometimes you get an opportunity and then, yeah, I went from, you know, having mm. just a matter of months left on contract and a great deal of uncertainty to working extensively with Emma, which was certainly the thing that, um, you know, ironed out by my performance and, and I became more consistent. And, um, yeah, the back half of that year, I signed a, a three-year deal to stay at Punt Road. And in this sliding doors moment, wild success would follow. So we'll get on to that, which is a, a more happy topic of conversation. And Emma Murray's influence as well that you've touched on a couple of times. So David Asprey, his and Richmond's remarkable run is up next on This Is Your Journey. Thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. It's been great to have your company here on This Is Your Journey. Thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals, a family-owned business since 1934. And our guest today is David Asprey. So Emma Murray's introduction to the club, we've touched on quite a few times. How did it actually come about? Because it wasn't that long ago that the mindfulness space, I suppose, Dave, was, was almost non-existent in, in the AFL landscape. Yeah, I, I need to um, need to pay my respects to Emma's apprenticeship because um, I've piggybacked on the on the back of her work and got jobs that have taken me to Europe and stuff like that. But if, if I look back um, to what Emma was doing before she got the opportunity at Richmond, she was doing Tuesday, Thursday night at, you know, Williamstown, um, which you can imagine, you know, Williamstown football club, which is, it's a cold place in winter. And, um, you know, she was, she believed in it that much that she would, she would turn up and she was prepared to start there. And, um, you know, I can't thank her enough for, for willing to do that because that, that led her to an opportunity at Richmond and, um, it was in a part-time capacity in 2016 and there was a few of us that, that really adopted the work, particularly Dylan Grimes and I, yeah. and, um, yeah, then yeah, it, it's it was you know a bit of change at the off season between twenty sixteen and seventeen, and then Emma's work became you know fully entrenched in the program. So when she came in, were the players naturally sceptical, or were they immediately open to it? I'm asking you to speak for forty four players here. I appreciate, it. but were some obviously were more invested initially than others? Yeah, definitely. And and the reality is, I think the reason why sometimes it can come across a little bit vague is because it's it's an intangible. You know, we have champion data and we have all these key performance and physical attribute uh, metrics that we can measure these performance. But the reality is when it come to me- comes to mental performance, you can't. So um, for a few of us that adopted it really strongly, it was the feeling of having a really clear, distinct focus 
in performance moments. And that was something that made us feel more safe and more comfortable. And I talk about key people like uh, Dylan Grimes and, and Sean Grigg and Alex Rance and, and, you know, these guys that were, you know, established players. It was something that really helped elevate their performance too. So, yeah, to what significance can you put this on the fact that 2016 became 2017? Because, I mean, to go from battler to major premiership threat and win the premiership, obviously, was, it was a massive leap. I mean, you could have gone, Damien Hardwick could have gone, for different reasons just in the off-season just gone. Um, how did the wheel turn and what significance do you place on this off-field stuff? Yeah, the off-field stuff, the, the mental performance is, is one thing, but then, um, you know, we got Shane McCurry on board who's running our, our, our leadership and culture model and he's just... He's a revolutionary, Shane McCurry. He's he's someone who I look up to enormously, and and I still speak to very regularly. Um, and then obviously the other components like Neil Baum, and then you know Blake Carousella. Yeah. But the whole footy program it just had a different energy, and and I strongly feel and and strongly suggest that we were fortunate, or not, you know, we were able to win those premierships on the back of things that were immeasurable, the intangible stuff. A lot was said, and oh, there's a book done on the Triple H sessions, but who started, what were the origins of that, and how crucial was someone like Brandon Ellis's story to making that have the impact that it did? Yeah, I just think that um, we'd come from... I don't want to use the word archaic, but upon reflection, it sort of feels that way where we're all trying to um, probably emulate, you know, this perfect model of, of um, a footballer in person. And, and Koch would, would, you know, by his own admission, suggest that that's exactly what he was trying to do. And it's just impossible. And then all of a sudden we started to put our our focus and our, our energy on what our story was in a subjective sense and then celebrate our individual strengths that, um, you know, that we bring to the program and we're no longer just focusing on what our shortcomings are. It's just like, this is why you're here. This is what you do for us and, mm. and us as a, a football team and as an organization. And it's just like, we want that to be celebrated. And yeah, a huge part of that is your story, like the, the Triple H that you mentioned. And and we just got real momentum. Like we, we established this current that, you know, you couldn't help but feel like you were swept up in. That breakthrough premiership, the drought breaker, 2017, uh, how exhilarating was that? So Adelaide come in with obviously a, a record-breaking offense. I mean, they belted you in round six. They were kicking goals from everywhere. And then on the day itself of the grand final, you keep them obviously to their lowest score of the year in the last game of the year. Well, can you take me back to that moment and what it meant to you in terms of your your, your journey? Yeah, I, I just think that um, it's such an occasion, the AFL grand final, and not – once during that week did I feel that. Um, I remember having a conversation early in the week with with Neil Baum and he was like, it's going to be the best week of your life. And um, and I remember at the time being like, oh, it could be, you know, but it was the best week of my life before the game. You know, like we, we were given permission to really celebrate that. And then, and we just put our expectation or all of our emphasis on the process you know and that allowed us to be present it allowed us to celebrate all all the givings of the week um and not have our attention on the game all the time because that's that's mentally and emotionally exhausting Mm. and it instills fear and tension and and these sort of parts that have a huge impact on on the performance and um yeah, just to be able to do it yeah it all seemed to happen really quickly particularly the back half of that season and um you know, we 
we didn't have anyone that just like wanted to do it for them. We just had uh, an organization that just wanted to be a part of it. And um, yeah, that's, that's something I look back on now and I'd, you know, you, you wish you could bottle that stuff. Obviously, the premierships came again in 19 and 20, but I wanted to ask the 2018 preliminary final loss, how did that shape the three-flag journey? Did that stick in you like a thorn or would you have won those flags anyway, do you feel? How did it mould the, the three premierships, do you think? We wouldn't have won the flags beyond that. Yeah, so, um, you know, you can you can look at it through a very shallow lens and be like, oh, you should have, had, you should have won four flags. And it's just like, well, look, you know, if we had of... You know, being good enough to get through and win it, I, I feel like we probably would have regressed. Um, and that's my own subjective opinion, yeah. you know, and, and we'll never know. But the back half, particularly the last probably four to six weeks of the home and away season and then the first qualifying final against Hawthorne, we were good enough to win um, through not through process, not through execution of process, and we were performing at a sub-optimal level, and, but we were good enough to win. And we probably weren't reviewing or critiquing our performance at the level that we should have been, particularly over that period. And we were just banking wins. And I think at the end of the home and away season, we're two or three wins clear on top of the ladder. Um, but at the, the, if you look at it, the reality was we weren't playing great teams. We were only just winning. And our, yeah, we were, we were performing at a, a substandard mm. level. And because we didn't, exe- you know, execute the review process or the critique process well enough it came back to really bite us have you got a favorite dimmer quote oh geez um not really um i just i remember in early days he'd run out of things to say and everything was lo and behold and (laughs) i was gonna say i was gonna nominate at the end of the day yeah he goes to the end of the day yeah yeah that's right and i think he it's funny you you watch him in a press conference and he's just like how do i wind this up to buy himself some time he'll say at the end of the day and he'll be actively thinking about what he's gonna say i'm onto you dimmer i am (laughs) most difficult opponent um well, yeah, probably Josh Josh Kennedy in his in his absolute prime, but it is it is splitting hairs between him and Tomahawk. Right. Yep. Yeah. He had some good battles with Tomahawk. And yeah, stuff. and and in big games, and he's you know everyone talks about just how big he is and stuff like that, but he's got footy IQ that's just yeah. extraordinary. Yeah. yeah. Most talented teammate. Well. Yeah. I thought I'd throw it out there. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. It's it's low hanging fruit, yeah. isn't it? <laughs> Dustin Martin. <laughs> Knock me over with a feather. But the big game mentality, I mean, how did he – can you just take us before we let you go a little bit behind the curtain about how he was able to do what he did when he did it? Was there anything behind the scenes that you were that you were left with or just simply walked out and – Yeah. Well, I just think that his investment in, in the mental side of the, the game was as good as anyone's and um, – you know, and it really empowered a lot of our youth demographic. If it's good enough for Dustin Martin, it's good enough for me. So it certainly indirectly made us a lot better as well. But mm. I remember having a conversation with Emma um, in the lead up to the 2019 grand final. And the narrative was that um, Matt DeBoer was going to tag Dustin out of the game. And it was pretty strong. And I I just remember not thinking much of it. But then I heard Dustin be like in a, in a, in a peak performance, like a, a mental review session he's like oh you know the reality is it's probably not going to be my week and I was just like what like what why would it not you know and I I chatted to Emma and I was just like 
look, respectfully to Matt DeBoer, like he, he's a he's a warrior and he'll do it, but he is just like, he just can't go with Dustin Martin. So like if if he just puts his attention on what he's been doing all year, like and that's strengths oriented. We don't we don't subscribe to the narrative outside of the football club. Like he's he's you can't stop him. Hmm. You know when he, when he gets in the right mental space. Anyway, it was it was a great conversation to share with Emma, and then she called me back on the, on that front. And um, yeah, I feel like it was probably my greatest contribution yeah. for Grand Final Day. Isn't that amazing. So yeah. that wasn't a deliberate thought, obviously, from Dad. I thought maybe for a minute there, not that I'm any psychologist, uh, psychology expert, might have been a bit of reverse or something. But that, but clearly that was him feeling it in the moment that. You know, um, the 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 chips are stacked against me. Yeah, and res- yeah, all all due respect to Matt the boy, he was getting jobs done yeah. in in that regard. But um, yeah, I just I just really felt like I wasn't going to allow that to happen. Um, and yeah, Emma was was so powerful in that moment. And um, yeah, mm. I, I just I just couldn't believe that I was you know for a second because he'd been doing it so long for such an extended yeah. period that. He doesn't listen to what happens outside. Yeah, like, but we're, we're all vulnerable, aren't we? Yeah. Even even the best. Yeah, that's right. Amazing. Exactly. Hey, Dave, thanks so much for joining us today, mate. Well, yours was just a journey in every sense. I mean, the hardship, the resilience, the persistence, and ultimately the validation and the success and the, the satisfaction of what you were able to achieve must be must be absolute. So three flags, live membership of the club. You desperately wanted to stay out as well and a stack of reunions to come. So well done on what you achieved, mate, and well done on what you're doing at the moment. Wish you all the best with it. Really appreciate your time, Sammy. There's David Asprey there. Thanks for joining us. You've been listening to This Is Your Journey for Tobin Brothers Funeral Celebrating Lives. You can find them online, of course, tobinbrothers.com.au. And we'll catch you the next time we celebrate another great sporting journey.